0: That's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I woke up at 5 a.m.
1: Put on my camouflage. Wiped
2: And we're
1: back on Jim Strayer Outdoors. If you're just joining us on the broadcast, we're talking tonight with Dr. James Kroll. Known across the nation as Dr. Deer for his studies in deer and deer management. And we're talking about the appearance of CWD in Ballard County, Kentucky, which the Department of Fish and Wildlife just announced the other day. Uh Doc before break, Scott had a question. Scott, you want to repeat it in short order again to so folks yeah, can understand doc, your question.
3: Just working with these agencies. Uh, especially over the last five to six years and volunteering. A lot of these biologists and technicians, um, administrative staff, when they can talk, when they know it's a safe environment with their cape on or their patch on or the uniform on, they're exhausted with CWD efforts. And a lot of these folks are scientists and they're biologists and they're hunters and fishermen. Um, and and they're just like, man, we're, we're just putting way too much time, energy, and effort into this CWD, and maybe it's their grouse or their waterfowl or their small game that's, that's getting confused. But, but also the things, Doc, that, that I see from my perspective as an agriculture education teacher for over 20 years is working with these taxidermists and, and processors, um, even working with some of these employees that work for uh, state agencies, I don't ever want to see it jump over into the human species uh, but where in in your opinion from the the approach that you can take on radio where are our shortfalls Um, where do we need to help our departments and their employees and and how do we as, as hunters how do we agree to disagree and come together on this nationally and, and not just destroy the hunting economy and and put anybody's health at risk.
2: Well you're you're describing something that as I've experienced myself as I have also uh, been confidentially spoken to about because these people are burnt out on all this stuff and as a matter of fact one of the, one of the higher up guys in the state the state uh, animal disease department here in Texas it just said he wants it gone you know, they they've had it they've had it they they realize what is really happening here and they're and they're burn up on it and they and they are uh, in within the department they they have had the fire taken out of out of them for you know the other species working on the other species so I, I think I think that we're going to see a major change in their near future. And here in Texas, our, our commission the other day for the first time ruled against the the, the agency biologists and their recommendations for for uh, CWD uh, in the coming year. And that's never been heard of. But the commission is, is realized that it's a political disaster. The whole thing is a disaster. Now, let's go to... What we can do? Let's let's use let's go to class here and, and use the the one positive that you have in Ballard County. What should be we done? Well, what we recommended uh, in Wisconsin, which they really didn't do, uh, was that they it, it, when you find a uh, one that's, that just appears out of nowhere, there the the first thing you do, yes, you run the two tests, the, the one that you run locally, and then the one you run at Ames or wherever. Uh, but there's a test called the Western Block Test that could tell right off the bat what kind of CWD it is. Now, on these TSEs, there are three kinds of the same thing. In humans, there's three kinds. Uh, one one is, is genetic. Another one is sporadic. And the, the third one is infective, the infective one being being the rarest and we can run a Western blot test to see if the if the one that showed up in Kentucky is indeed in an effective case that probably came over from Missouri or maybe maybe from the south and Tennessee I don't know but what what it is if it's sporadic uh, it's not it's not an infectious pathogen and we don't need to worry about it the other thing is that the we as, as hunters and the general public, we ought to be, we recommended putting together a stakeholder groups that stand ready uh, when one shows up. And the stakeholder groups are landowners, hunters, uh, biologists, uh, you know, everybody that has a stake in all of this is, is have them ready and, and go in and we'll sample that area. They already have a, a zone put around it. As I understand, which is a good idea. And first of all, we have to define how widespread is the is the infection. Now, like I talked about earlier, in New York, they did they didn't do that. but They just they did some some sampling and they found out it was just a single case. They never found ran the test to find out if it was just a sporadic case or not. So for involving those, the for people. Those,
3: yeah, for those, Doc, that are the stakeholders in the economic aspect of it as far as maybe they sell uh, feed to use in supplemental feeding yep. or, or maybe their processors, what what can you help us with in the state of Kentucky to bridge that learning gap in a quick way so that it's not such an economic impact onto those people we care so much about and our, and our Commonwealth's revenue?
2: Uh, by by education, you're talking about educating the agents here, educating
3: the the the, the, the people, more there? or less the business owners, the entrepreneurs, and and the retailers that are that are going to be possibly negatively impacted by this. How how can we help them?
2: Well, the first way we can help them is is to uh, what we did here in Texas is is we got our got Texas A&M to do an economic study. Just to say, what what is the economic situation here? What how big an industry is this? What is going to be the impact? Part of the of the plan that that the agency put forward should incur, just like in most environmental impact statements, should include what is the economic impact of these actions, and that that's not that's never done. It's it's never done. We need to know what the economic impact is, <clears throat> and it's cost well, the- benefit.
1: Well, and you can take it from me. It will be a huge, huge negative impact. And I'm concerned about that. Doc, I really liked your, your idea there about the stakeholders being involved because that's been a real problem, quite frankly, with our current Fish and Wildlife Commission with the agency in recent years. And this is due to some leadership that I've been critical of for that very reason, this particular issue, I would think would demand public input would demand that the sportsman, the state be educated properly, which is the whole reason that Scott and I wanted to have you on the program tonight to, to tell the real true facts about this disease.
2: Yeah. What, what constitutes I've studied this a long time. Uh, what constitutes public impact or input into into wildlife management issues? They most most of these states do the exact same things. They'll they'll have a hearing, a public hearing, or the, the biologists will tour around the state, and they'll have a a public hearing, and people will get up and rail against them, and complain and all that sort of stuff. And just a, a handful of people show up, and they're mostly the complainers. They really don't uh, effectively find out what the public is thinking, what the public wants. There are better ways to do these things than to have these public hearings. And ev- and everybody knows that whatever they get up and say is not going to change a thing. I guarantee you. So people have lost faith all over the country. Uh, people have lost faith in their state agencies. I, th- I think it's. I think it's systemic, systemic, and and a lot not just in hunting and fishing and that sort of thing, but in government in general. They've lost faith that they they feel like their opinions don't really matter.
1: Well, and that that's a shame. I got to go to another break here, Doc. And coming back, I want to speak to that issue and I want your thoughts about it because there's a reason that they turn a deaf ear towards the constituency, and, and I want to see if you think. I've got my finger on that pulse. Got to go to break here, folks. It's presented by Moss Hill Properties, Heart Realty. Check them out, M-O-P-H-A-R-T, Realty.com.
3: You and
1: we're Are back to Dr. James Crow. Doc, in a real short away. course, what would you you've ask the sportsman away. to do? What what would be your advice from working with the other states about how they can become active and, and be heard. What, what would your suggestion there be? Well, get art or, get
2: organized. A good colleague of mine once said that that governments fear nothing more than a letterhead. And What he meant was uh, organizations that uh, hunters are, are poorly organized. They always have been for some odd reason. And, and, Folks have got have got to get organized and, and politically active in all of this. And I'll guarantee you, as as someone said earlier in the show, the politicians pay attention. And, yes, sir. And especially especially when you start showing economic disadvantage, you realize in in the areas of Texas now, our our rural land prices are falling because of CWD. That. If, if an area, if a property has had CWD or it's in a county where there is CWD, it's hard to sell land nowadays.
1: Well, and, and to Scott's point, you know, there's just all kind of ramifications. Folks that sell feed, the folks that sell mineral, the folks that sell, you know, all kind of hunting uh, situations. The outfitters uh, will have negative impact. I mean, it's all across the map. Um, I want to talk about something that goes to the heart of this, in my opinion, and I want to throw this at you. The federal government has thrown somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 million plus at this situation through a bill that they passed and it's being allocated to the States. And it seems to me like the more positives, the more money that flows, the more areas that are identified, more money flows. Uh, it's, It's like this is a, a testing epidemic instead of a disease epidemic. What are your thoughts about that, Doc? I mean, I'm a, I'm a follow-the-trail, follow-the-money kind of guy, and I smell money.
2: Oh, there is money. If you follow the money, you know, I tried to follow the science, and I couldn't find it, but I followed the money, and I found it. The, uh, the interest, if you noticed it lately, just recently, this there's been this, Burst of activity in relation to CWD. Well, what got passed a year ago? Like you're saying, a, a huge bill that is doling out money to these states. And here in Texas, we I mean, they're hiring new staff and getting all sorts of new vehicles and all kinds of stuff out of this. It's its followed the money. You know, I, like I said, I've been a scientist for 50 years. And I've become, in the last decade, I've become terribly disillusioned about the quality of science and the motivations of folks. You know, a, a colleague of mine who was a very uh, great scientist I respect so much, he, he asked me one day, he said, you know, the hardest thing about doing science nowadays? And I said, what? He says, trying to figure out what they want you to find out. <laughs> and there, there is a money. And he and, and, it, it, it wasn't being facetious. It, it's the truth. You know, uh, there's a different kind of science, and and it's not always money. It's agendas. There's a lot of, of social agendas that are out there now. You you realize that uh, that less, yes,
3: yeah. To to your point, I I think there's a lot of people out there that admit that they're not biologists, they're not outfitters. They just want the truth. They they're just they're. Right. It doesn't matter if we're talking about hunting or anything. There's people out there that are willing to admit that they are not the PhD or they are not the scientists they they just want the truth and I I think before we went to break we talked about now here we are that where and what can people trust is it it plays havoc on getting people engaged because it has impacted people to the point to where they do not know who they can or cannot listen to but they've come to the table humbly and admitted that they don't have the degree they don't have the lab. They don't have the test, They don't even know what you're talking about. But they care. They admit that they care, and then they're ignored.
2: That's right. And they're they're, you know, you 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 can get an opinion from a, a, a scientists to become like lawyers. You know, you could get an opinion if you if you're willing to to pick the right one. And, and that's nonsense. I mean, we've we've got a lot to fix in this society. And you know, when I was going through college, the three people that had the highest respectability in the United states were teachers, clergy, and and scientists. That isn't there anymore. And uh, it's I'm I'm very disappointed in in some of my colleagues and what they're what they're doing nowadays and not doing. So I don't. So I
1: Doc, in short course here in the closing minutes, what would be your recommendation on what the state should do here? Do you have a strong recommendation that you would prefer?
2: Yeah, I do. Uh, follow, you know, do what we recommended in in uh, Wisconsin. We we recommended uh, using a, a, what we call a wildfire model. And that was when you fight a wildfire, you guard against sparkouts, okay uh, and you fight the spark outs and you can and you contain the fire and right now, all you've got you've got one piece of information you got a positive deer. The first thing is again, pull the people in, don't do like they're doing in Missouri, where they're sending out letters saying they're going to come to the landowners and shoot their deer, but go out there and and involve involve the public. In the gathering of information, involve the public in your research, and I'll guarantee you, people can This has worked for us for a long time in deer management. People can't argue with the information that they help collect. So get them involved in it at the grassroots level, and also, you, you hit the nail on the head. A while ago, be honest. Be honest. We had a we had the state uh, CWD guy here in Texas get up and give a talk in public and I asked him was there any peer-reviewed science that backed up that CWD uh, had ne- negatively impacted any deer herd in the United States and he he said yes and everybody there knew there was absolutely no no evidence he did he later had to admit that he didn't have the evidence that it had
1: well that tells the whole story Really and truly it does. Doc, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you sharing your information, your experiences with the disease. They're very, very extensive and you come at it extremely logically and hopefully folks that hear the program will be able to decipher through this and form opinions that are based on fact. So uh, once again, hats off to your partner and good hunting out there. Well, I
2: love, I love Kentucky. I love hunting Kentucky. I've been hunting there a long year long number of years, and uh, and I love those people in Dawson Springs.
1: Thank you, sir. We really appreciate you. And we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors, and Scott, uh, let's change gears here a little bit and talk about things going around the region. Let's start with deer hunting, because there's a lot of reports in, changes are happening as we speak. And uh, I know you've been out scouting, and I've been doing a lot of observations. Let's talk about that a there, bit.
3: There's phenomenal and fantastic opportunity ahead for those folks that have utilized their skills and their time and their energy, and their efforts to legally bait deer or supplemental feed. Uh, have food plots and where we're getting at there deer have really started to concentrate in larger numbers especially in the afternoons where the most abundant and easily digestible roughages uh, what we're getting at there is anywhere that they can kinda start taking in grasses or clovers or any type of plant vegetation it's going to keep that that room and happy they're really starting to browse heavy through, you know, the, the briars and, and back into the fields on, on what's left. At the same time, the folks that have taken the time, energy, and efforts to leave standing corn or soybeans, uh, get food plots established, or even using bait stations or, you know, aspects of, of using corn to feed deer on a supplemental basis, these cooler temperatures are gonna allow hunters to set back. And utilize their efforts to to see high deer counts and I would definitely focus on the afternoons and realize that two things can put venison and and a taxidermy bill in in your hand right now that and that is you know sitting back at a distance utilizing the wind capitalizing on that food source with that food and what is left to come of the breeding season uh, just allow it to fall out and take place. I mean, it's it's like a card game, Jim. Right now, it, it, a good hand can change the the game real quick, right? I mean, it shifts the momentum, and and we've all been there. We've been down in the hand that we have, and you know, we've we've been dealt a different hand, and it and it works for us. And that's that's what's going to happen on this this late season for a lot of folks, whether it's with a muzzleloader um, or it's with with archery equipment. So temperatures are going to be to the advantage of the hunter in the afternoons.
1: And I want to uh, put a little addition to that, folks. When you're hunting these food sources, your entry and exit has to be strategized to where those deer do not detect that you're coming and going. They've been hunted now for months on end. They're very, very attuned to human intrusion. So I would encourage you folks to really understand how to get in and out without letting the deer know that you're they're pursuing them this there's a lot of ways you can do that but i think folks get what i'm saying be be, yeah uh, folks can uh,
3: visually stand back and and be a good distance from the field you can actually do not that we're promoting hunting from the road or being a road hunter but with the use of with the use of binoculars or spotting scopes in your automobile there's a lot of places where hunters right now can use their time scouting and what i'm getting at for example say tomorrow night we had the yeah. opportunity to scout for a night or two. Where are those deer at? Until they're disturbed, they're most likely going to continue to feed in those sources. And, and what you're saying, Jim, yeah. we've all experienced. We get these deer, we put them on a pattern, and we have to realize that it may be a one-and-done hunt this time of year. We may be seeing upwards 20, 30 deer on a setting, and if we don't have a good way to get out of there, then we could blow those deer out of that area and, it, and it's gonna ruin our chances to, to come back with the same amount of success. So I know you use a lot of switchgrass and a lot of natives to kind of block your entry and exit. And that's and that's where the, the listeners need to be is is try to start putting together a strategy with your management or with your hunting to where you utilize a creek bed or you utilize the terrain to get in and out and, and try to have the least amount of impact so those deer don't know they're being hunted, because they've been hunted, and they know what hunting pressure is.
1: You better believe it. Squirrels, uh, the rut's coming. This is one of your and my favorite times of year to hunt. You love to do uh, solo hunting, and I love to do the dog deal. I've got a new squirrel dog that I'll be talking about here uh, going forward a bit, but uh, point is, some of the best squirrel hunting of the entire year is upon us and will continue up probably till about all the second week of January because when squirrels are rutting they tend to stay out of the dens for most of the day uh, it's, it's very similar to the deer rut I mean they're twice as active uh, they stay out more they're not in their dens as much the female squirrels uh, when a hunter enters the area often Will block the hole and won't allow the males back into the den, so it's a unique opportunity. Rabbits, uh, let's talk about that a bit.
3: Seeing a good uptick with the amount of jumps that are that are coming on, and I really do suspect that hunters that are able to get out now and and capitalize on you know some good dogs will see that their hunting's going to get a little bit better for a couple different reasons. The main reason's going to be the weather's going to be a little bit more consistent. Uh, Those rabbits are going to be feeding more, getting out more. That's just more scent for the dogs to hit on, and and the rabbits are going to be more active. And and the other aspect of things is, too, is, is deer season slows down. I always find that for whatever reason, I think that it's tied to this the aspect of humans being in the woods and hunting deer, but I feel like it settles the rabbits back down and it's easier for a man or a woman to get on a piece of property and, and do some hunting and, and get out and let the dogs run. And it's it's definitely the time where if folks aren't utilizing public pieces of property, that as deer season windles down and, and hunters start coming out of the field and, and hanging up the bows and the guns for the season, the, the small game hunters, rabbit hunting, waterfowl hunting, uh, all that's starting to to throttle up as, as the deer season throttles back. So I think uh, I think folks are gonna be real happy seeing more young rabbits killed right now than older mature rabbits. And, and hopefully that's not a sign of an issue with the dynamics of the rabbit population. But uh, talked to a great friend that hunted today and from lunch until we went on the show, they, they were able to get up nine and killed four. So that's a that's a pretty good afternoon after church.
1: Yes sir I uh, I've been out myself with my good buddy Bobby Glasgow and Larry Valines down in the western part of the state and what we harvested were very young rabbits. I mean they were incredibly small for what I normally see you know in the December period and, and forward which indicates good late reproduction uh, So we'll see how that. Comes out. I, I'm glad that the small game hunters are going to be able to get out and get after it. You know that deer hunting excludes so many of us from the field for a variety of reasons, and and uh, small game hunters, uh, I got them in my heart because that's how I started and that's how I will finish. I love hunting deer, no but I, I like it all. Let's talk waterfowl here for a minute.
3: Well, I'm going to tell on myself some here and and uh, admit that I I don't wanna necessarily discourage folks on on waterfowl and give an opportunity to speak on the radio. I don't wanna necessarily give my best spots away, but I, I want people to understand that right now, if you wanna have successful waterfowl hunts and you want to actually go out and get into some ducks, you're not gonna be able just to ride around or look up in the air and find them. These ducks are in the back of these coves. They're in these creeks. They're where hardwoods meets water. They're in transitional areas where acorns are abundant. And it takes a lot of time right now to get out and scout these birds. You're gonna to have to get up and in some water uh, try to do it quietly and, and figure out a strategy to go back in there and get in front of them before they get there the next day. Don't put too much pressure on them. We're seeing good numbers of birds harvested and, and killed when people have put in the time to scout them. What we're seeing, though, and the frustration of the hunters is folks are going out and they're sitting up on main lake points or they're sitting up in you know areas that look ducky and they're not getting necessarily what they think is, is a good waterfowl hunting based on the sightings or how often their shotguns are banging. But uh, if, you'll, if you'll take that time, energy, and effort and, and look into those areas that are overlooked, creeks and coals and, and rivers and lakes, and take the time to do some float trip hunting. Everybody thinks that killing ducks is going to be strictly over the decoys and doing you know the calling. And it, it, there's so many different tactics you can use to hunt waterfowl. and and yeah all of us love killing you know ducks in the timber when the sun's coming through and and the birds are doing their thing but if you want to get out and go duck hunting just be diverse make sure that your tactics are are making some sense be safe about it and and go out and get it and as far as the guys and gals chasing the geese uh, the reason why you're not seeing them post all this stuff on social media and bragging about it is because they're having success uh, goose hunting has not been on fire it's just been consistent to those folks that have been watching these ducks and geese get in and off whether it's a, a warm water lake from some type of energy company uh, or some type of discharge from a factory uh, where those geese kind of have a good uh, loafing spot today and don't be surprised if you're hunting uh, for your ducks and your geese is over pretty early you may not need to spend the whole day out there but at the same time there's been a lot of really good activity coming in on the split from the duck hunting uh, around that 10 o'clock to two o'clock mark. There's just been some ducks getting up, moving around and uh, hunting's been pretty good as long as you're finding the ducks, but don't don't go out there and just stand next to a tree hoping that some ducks fly in. That's, that's not cutting the mustard right now.
1: No, it's not. And your point about the acorns is spot on. There are such a profusion of acorns this year and there's so many creeks and backwater areas where there is timber and those acorns are available. And it's, uh, it's really interesting. I saw a pretty big push of multi-species waterfowl here in the last two or three days. And I think they're pushing ahead of this colder air up to the North. And I also think that they're, you know, hitting these backwater areas where there's abundant seed and what have you available because of that, that flooding that we so desperately needed in some of these areas. so Or spill out, I guess I should call it, not so much uh, a flooding. All right, I'm going to go to break here real quick. Coming back from break, we're going to talk a little bit about fishing reports because there's some really good fishing available right now. So we'll be back after this. The break is presented by Mossy Oak Properties Heart Realty. Check them out, M-O-P-H-A-R-T, realty.com. And we're back. It's got uh, some really good news out there for fishermen. Fishing's really, really good right now. It has been uh, since a little bit before Thanksgiving time. Uh, I had I was talking to our buddy Wes Thomas. that's on the program with us a lot, and uh, he was telling me one of the tournaments down on Cumberland here recently was one on buzzbait <laughs> on uh, shallow yes, wood stuff and. That's not a surprise to me, but it might be to a lot of the listeners. Tell us about uh, some of the reports you're getting and, and what's
3: going on. yeah, from from reports in my fishing, we're we've all been geared up on deer season, and some of the smallmouth fishing has just been red hot. I would say it's good to great right now, seeing where hair jigs and you know some other typical things this time of year. Uh, jerk baits and some top water ripping, you know, some type of crankbait or rattle trap has been good. What has been proven is that we're in a consistent pattern right now with fish, and it seems like the shallower, shallow flats along the, the areas of transition of wood structure, lake points, um, even some of your rock that parallels or is vertically going up against some of your deeper channels. And deeper pools of water are just holding that transition area that the fish are keying in on, on bait fish. And if folks are into the live scope or into using electronics, if you can find structure and find bait fish, you're going to find multiple species of fish that are more than likely trying to get their belly fed and, and, and do some things and use a variety of, of tactics. Top water, um, you know, that's it, it has been hot, but right now, if you're out there fishing and nothing's working at six or eight or 10 foot or nothing's working fast or slow, what's it going to hurt to throw 40 or 50 times with a topwater bait? I mean, if you don't do it, you're just going to go home without catching any fish, you know? So that's right.
1: And crappie been good as well. So that's, that's kind of some good things that are, that are out there. Now I hate to close the program on a sad note, but a very dear friend of mine and a huge force, And he was a force in the conservation community. My good friend Eddie Deep passed this week, and I loved Eddie Deep. He was a man's man. His word was his bond. And he was so instrumental in the formation of many of the conservation uh, uh, movements in central Kentucky. Eddie's from Lebanon. A lot of you probably know him as Deep's Guns down there in Lebanon, Kentucky. But Ed and I uh, have been hard and fast friends. Uh, I love the family. And I'm so saddened by his passage. To explain what kind of guy he was, he was in pretty tough shape here uh, coming into this deer season. And he asked his son, Justin, to take him out because he wanted to go out with 68 consecutive deer seasons under his belt and i can tell you he was fighting some really strong physical uh ailments but he was going to be out there and he he just uh, a guy that loved uh, the elk program he was huge in the national wild turkey federation he supported ducks unlimited awesome wing shot uh and, and trap shooter he and i shot t- against each other uh competitively and and shot together on teams uh through the years and just don't find a stripe of a guy i can't say enough about eddie deep he just was one of those unique human beings i wish there was more like him out there today i really really do he he, he was a wildlife manager in addition to being a a uh, conservationist through the organizations Great at taking kids and allowing them to use his properties. Hats off to you, partner. I, I know you're going to be hunting in the great beyond. All right, that's a wrap, everybody. God bless. Be careful out there.